This is Shifting Our Schools episode 125, a YouTube Live AMA with the Reimagine Washington Ed Team. Listen up, educators. Are you looking to take your classroom to the next level? The technological shift in education is happening right now. If you're looking to integrate technology into your classroom, you're in the right place. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. Over in the chat real quick. There he is. There's everybody. Awesome. Hi, everyone. So first and foremost, there was no launch today. I'm very disappointed. Mm. Very sad. Oh, but it was. Oh, no. Hey, but my son, my fourth grader is into it now. Like, he's like, Dad, we got to set alarms for the next five possible options. <laughs> and you be there three hours early. Like, he is ready. My How's favorite plan? thing was... Yeah. NASA's marketing department is doing great. (laughs) (laughs) How much they're paying Jeff? Because it was Jeff who like, we had to call him in the middle like, so Jeff, tell us more. How do we? (laughs) My favorite though is Patrick and I are in the session this morning and Patrick's hollering at at Oscar and he's like, hey, do you want to watch the rocket takeoff? And, And Oscar says, you mean like a real one? (laughs) <laughs> yes, not in Minecraft. These are real no, rockets. Real, real rockets? Oh, so good. But we will. Uh, we were talking in another session afterwards. You know, we talk a lot about this idea of perseverance or the idea of letdown. And what's it got to be like to be like you wake up in the morning and thinking you're going to space and then all of a sudden you're not. And you've already been strapped into that thing for three and a half hours. And it's going to be another three hours before you, because they have to unload all the fuel. They've got to, to get you out of that thing. Oh, I just like, what is your mindset going through that? And what and talk about having to have some grit and determination, huh? I'll tell you. Oh, so. yeah, we, we thought how, how, like, oh, <laughs> I mean, I, my son was like, hold on, dad, how long have they been in the cockpit? They're just yeah. waiting. Right. Yeah. Sit, sit in the same position. Yeah. Check, check, check. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very cool. All right. Well, we're going to get started with our AMA, which is an Ask Me Anything session. Um, I was thinking about what we would do for a follow-up to Tech Tool Bonanza that could be just as fun and as freaky for all of you. And I just happened to be over in Reddit, and Reddit does AMAs all the time. And I was like, genius, we can do an educational AMA. How great would that be? So we're going to be doing an Ask Me Anything format here where I have a list Uh, And for those of you watching, nobody knows who is asking them the question or what the question is. Just to make it interesting. (laughs) Just for fun. Just, you know, because why why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? And it all happened. We don't need any prep. Yeah, I did appreciate that you were very clear that every question should be personal in nature. <laughs> yes. Only no. Stephens. That's Only no, Stephens. you didn't get them out. Stephens oh. had to be personal. Okay. You yeah, really yeah. are overestimating, overestimating my ability for shame, man. There's just nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to get started here. And I've got a list uh, of kind of the order. And my wife is the only one that knows what the questions are and who has who. So we've even got a third party outside of it. So Stefan, you are first on the list to ask your Mm -hmm. question to whichever random person you were assigned in whatever your question was. So Stefan, go ahead and get us started. Shannon, what's up, dude? Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) All right, so. (laughs) Everyone else is relieved. (laughs) It's actually. It's actually, it's okay. It's okay. You seem like a super nice person. I know we've never met in real life or like, in, but like, 
I, I was like, I got Shannon. And like, there were, there were some people on this panel. I was like, oh, I'm going to roast them. Like, I think Dania <laughs> specifically didn't give me Monica just because she really respects Monica. So, uh, but I saw Shannon and you're just so nice and kind. And like, so, so here's my question. This morning, you, mm -hmm. you posted in our Slack channel, what's the one song that really gets oh, no. you moving in the morning? So mm -hmm. here, live on YouTube, please sing us a rendition of This Is Me from the <laughs> I'm just no. kidding. I'm yeah, just no. kidding. It's not a question. That was a request. And, I, and I'm going to ask Danae what the question was you submitted this weekend. <laughs> okay, here's the actual question. Okay. Right. Scenario. You're cleaning out your classroom. Okay, it's the end of the year. You're prepping for the summer. There are cobwebs everywhere. Kids haven't been there, so fewer burgers, which is good. However, you come across a very old looking book. Okay, you open it out, up, and a genie pops out. Oh, there's my dog. That's super great. My wife is corralling him. Here we go. What a nerd. Uh, a you, genie you, pops not, out. You're, you didn't call your wife a nerd, I hope. <laughs> No, the dog. No. Well, okay, okay, okay. Nerd, okay. But it's okay. We love her, and I'm I'm dead now. That's a, <laughs> that was a scare. All right. So a genie pops out and tells you that if you subscribe to a YouTube channel that has I'm just kidding, but if they will grant you <laughs> Monica's face, they will grant you one one request. Okay, but it's pretty specific. They will get, grant you the power to flawlessly teach one skill to every student you cross paths with oh, in the future. Oh. Are all questions going to be like this? <laughs> oh, <my goodness>. <laughs> <laughs> that no. skill is up to you to choose. You can flawlessly teach one skill to every single student you cross paths with. With What is that one skill and why? Oh, man. Holy oh, cow. Man. OK. It doesn't have to be an academic skill? Oh, absolutely not. One skill. Okay. I mean, you want to teach every kid basket weaving? That is your prerogative. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, this is gonna get mushy though. That's the problem. That's good. Yeah. I the one skill I would love every kiddo to walk away with is confidence in themselves and the ability to be independent in their thinking and their work. I want them to think for themselves. I want them to not rely on others. I want them to be confident enough to feel good about who they are and um and the gifts that they have to offer the world. Mm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Hey, answer, dude. Well done. I hope I get applause when it's my turn. <laughs> <laughs> so here's my follow-up question. How do you build the skill of self-confidence? That's a hard one though. That's it's something that I really work for in my classroom is trying to build that confidence. And sometimes that confidence comes out of struggle. That confidence comes out of just that reinforcement that you can do this. I know you can. Um, I know sometimes my students think I'm mean because I won't just dive in and give them the answer. I will make them struggle through that process so that they can feel good about what they did at the end. Um, and I'm huge about, you know, I don't let other students, I'll let other students support other students, but I'm not going to let them bail them out of that struggle because I want them to feel that reward in the end when they come out the other side. Like that, love it. I like that. I think that's such a such an empowerful piece, isn't it? Awesome. Thank you, Chrissy. You get to ask your question next. Ooh. Gee, I had to go and find it. 
<laughs> now I'm done. <laughs> yeah, take a breath, yeah. Shannon. You did awesome. God first this... is the best spot in some yeah. way. Yeah. You're all done. Okay, so my question is for the awesome Chris. Hey. Are you ready? <laughs> all right, here we go. That was Chris frozen. Chris looks frozen. Oh, he's not oh, frozen. No, oh, he did. I think he's he doing froze. that on purpose. He doesn't want to answer the question. He's just sitting really still. He's not really frozen. He's just nice work, really Chris. Still. <laughs> <laughs> he's not fooling anybody. He's playing statues. What what was that challenge that we all do when we just like yeah. go to statues? <laughs> Shall I ask come... it anyway? I'm hoping. I, Bob oh. keeps popping in and out. Also, oh, that's the, yeah. I got issues with my video we know that <laughs> i have issues i really have issues but i'm telling you two different zoom uh -oh. accounts here it's, it keeps going in and out i wonder if we should skip chrissy jeff and come yeah. back yeah we'll come i back. think so we'll, we'll come, come back, back we'll, when we'll chris back. is back yeah come back all right next on my list then is monica let me see who was i steve murphy to lead into it, how many years have you been teaching, Steve? 22. Well, that was too easy. Okay, well, you know, so I want <laughs> you to move on the next thing. Yeah. Yes. That oh. was to lead into the question. Oh, okay. So I want you to think back to your very, 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 very first year teaching. And I want to know two things. I want to know what is something you're most proud of from that first year of teaching. And one thing that you're kind of mortified by, like you can't believe you did that in a classroom. You don't know what, what you were thinking. So what are you mm. proud of from that very first year? And what's something you're kind of embarrassed by? Uh, let's start with the proud of. I made it. I survived the first year. No, no. Hey! I, uh, yes. Yeah, no, I, I think I would say in the first year, although that's what, you know, my dad taught for 30 years, right? So I grew up around teachers. I grew up around administrators. And I know one of the things when you talk to a first year teacher, that honestly is a true statement, right? To survive and make it through and take a deep breath and go to the second second year. But I think just the the development from beginning to end, right? So when you start at the beginning, you're just kind of trying to get things out there and survive the day and survive what is there. And then by the end, you can be more intentional about what you're planning and what you're trying to do. So I think just becoming more specific about how you're structuring your lessons, how you're putting it together in a way that can be beneficial and good for kids. Um, and so from that beginning to the end, the amount of growth that you see, I guess, is probably the, the thing that I would be most proud of. And I would say that to any first year teacher or young teachers out there as well, is don't forget about looking back and celebrating. It's one of the things I learned from Bob and coaching golf all the time. And Tyler said it earlier, is there's no celebrations too small to celebrate, right? So making sure that you really take a look and go, all right, here's where I am now. It might not feel like exactly where I want to be. I remember where I was two months ago or six months ago, right? And that was I've, I've made progression and that's something to be proud of and to recognize that. And that you continue to just get better as you, as you put things together and, and learn, learn new things. So um, as far as mortified, see how many Christmas, how do you answer that question? Uh, I got lots of answers. The, yeah, things, me too. the, the, things, the things that always come to my mind, uh, is this PG rated? What is this? Is this, I mean, I, what do we, what do we do? It's, it's worth, I, I started teaching seventh graders, right? So that's, that's where I was at. I'm at the high school now and I teach juniors and seniors and freshmen, but I started teaching seventh graders and your wording and how you say things is important <laughs> to seventh <laughs> graders. I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that, especially in coaching. 
It's a basketball. <laughs> it's, it's a baseball, right? It's not. You got to no, understand no. what you're with that. Yeah, right? yeah, so yeah. those those are the and you learn that very very quickly, right? That, that you have to be careful about your words, especially with seventh graders. And I know the middle school teachers here know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, so yeah, sure. uh, it's no different oh, yeah. in fourth grade. Say the word duty and figure you use a lesson real fast. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that. Yep. That would be the, that would, those would be the things, yeah. Oh, that's so. true. I never thought about that. You learn really quick, don't you? Yeah. yeah. That's great. Thank you. That's Good awesome. Job. Yeah, great work. Uh, Chris is back. So Chrissy. Uh, Chris tried uh, to oh, oh there, yeah, there he is. Okay. <laughs> I tried to escape. He tried to escape. I'm not going to escape. He's back. So Chrissy, you get to ask your question to right. Chris. I'm going to ask it really quickly before he drops right. out again. Okay, here we go. Chris, last yes. week you said... There's a sweet spot between project-based learning, instructional tech, and just good teaching. If we start, and I hope this doesn't happen for you all, but if you start the new school year still in virtual learning, what could that sweet spot look like for everyone? Yeah. Great question. So, (laughs) (laughs) So that sweet spot, is I, I think it's really an interesting way to look at where we can move education with with distance learning, with moving back into the building, whatever the case is. Um, I love the idea of project-based learning for the structure side of it in that. So here's, here's what I'm thinking. If we build a structure that the students get choice they get support through asynchronous videos they get support through synchronous whether it's office hours or if we're in building connecting with specific teachers um, that that can support them through the process the project is just a great way for them to learn through go through the learning process Um, i think projects allow students to automatically venture into this this idea of choice in what the project looks like what they actually study and that sort of thing um the sweet spot though lies in the fact that we're trying to blend we're still trying to teach to our specific standards we're trying to incorporate choice we're trying to incorporate um collaboration we're trying to incorporate um this the idea of instructional technology and what it can bring to the the classrooms and if you can live kind of in the world of all those things together that's that's the sweet spot i'm looking at you're not taking away good teaching strategies because good teaching strategies never go away but if we can incorporate all three of those concepts into one deal and have the kids create projects that they can do at their own pace at their own level they can push forward if they're moving ahead. They can be supported if they're falling behind in the projects. I think that in my mind, in my world, that's kind of my sweet spot of what I want education to move into. Mm. Woo! I, yeah. yeah. I love it. And I think it, it's flexible, it's right? Like, like it's gonna flexible. it's gonna flex in and out in outside out. of those three circles in some and way I, depending yeah. on day and kid. If you look if you look at it as a a Venn diagram, three three circles overlapping each other. You know that that sweet spot, that perfect world, is living right in be, right in the middle of all three of the, 
those instructional technology, good teaching, project-based learning, but we are going to dive in and out of all of those from time to time. Well, and here's the other thing. Go ahead and realize how Shannon's answer and my answer fit with what Chris is talking about, right? Yeah. So the idea that what if they're if you're giving them that choice and you're giving them those different tasks or different challenges, they're going to have to struggle through that, right, Shannon, and be able That's to self confidence. Figure out and build that self confidence. And yeah. as a teacher, as an instructor, we're not going to be great at it the first time we do it, but we're going to get better each time we do it. Each project mm -hmm. that we put together. Right. And one thing that's so important, and we, we talk about this all the time and reimagine, and Jeff talks about this all the time, is as a teacher, we're setting up the structure for the students to be successful in. And as teachers, if we set up that structure and if we provide the feedback and if we provide the support at the end of the project, no, no, no none of the kids are going to be unsuccessful. They will all have succeeded and learned and achieved that the, the outcome that we want them to achieve. If you I also that. think, though, I also think you want to provide that structure, but you almost want that one end. I'm thinking of Jeff's house right now. You want to have one end open because you yeah. want you want to have <laughs> that flexibility. <laughs> to, there to, might be more than one that's open. Might be, <laughs> maybe, um, but Jeff is but you literally have, living and breathing this. <laughs> <laughs> but you want to have that one end open so that you have the flexibility to move and make adjustments investments along with your kids because there's sometimes I, I think of a project and we start it but I don't know where it's going to end I need my kids to help get me to that to that Absolutely. end point love it yeah. and and what's really cool about that Shannon is when the kids do something or create something that you wouldn't have even thought of before yeah it's, it's amazing right yeah mm -hmm. love it yeah yeah, and I highly, think that highly structured, loosely organized. I was going to say, it, yeah. doesn't yes. make a point. Yeah, I points, so I get. Monica made you do it. I mean, first of all, Murphy finally got it right for like the first time ever. <laughs> he says it backwards, and he's like, "It's something about organizing and structuring." And I don't but yes, but isn't that what it is, right? Like a highly structured, and we were talking, and I don't remember who was in the cohort today, but I went off about planting your garden. Like there is a structure to growing your garden. Right. And that's structure. But you have to allow you have to allow things to change because if it rains for five days in a row, you don't then go in and turn on the sprinklers. Right? You, you don't do that. And so there has to be some freedom within the structure so that you still get the zucchini at the end. And the. We also like to celebrate the zucchini. That's who said it. That's who said it's it. Exactly. That's what we were thinking. That's who said it. I was going to say, Jeff actually described this way better just now because I just learned something new. Earlier, I was like, hold on. You don't learn when you eat the zucchini? I'm like, no, but the learning already happened. When you eat the zucchini, you're celebrating the learning of the structure of the thing that you went through. And because you get to have zucchini bread. Yes, <laughs> grilled zucchini, whatever you want. But Stephen I like has a good barbecue sauce analogy as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Would that be good on the zucchini? Sorry, Jeff. Uh, no, Jeff, I just got stumbling over we that. We need one. a moderator. Yeah. We need yeah. a moderator. Jeff has the floor. <laughs> no, no. no, I think it's just you know we have to we have to think of ways that we allow that structure, you know, the highly structured, loosely organized. But there has to be a, some way to get in there. And the other thing I like that Chris said is. If a project-based, if a true project-based system is set up and the structure is supported in the way that it should be supported, there is no such thing failure at the end because every failure should have been caught before the product was ever created. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
right? Because there should be so many small assessment pieces, summative and formative in the process that the product just takes care of itself, right? And at any point, you should be able to be able to go in in the process and say, oh, that little piece doesn't work. We need to change that little piece. We need to, so when a kid gets up to give a presentation, it should, every presentation should be an A at that <laughs> point because you should have been involved in the process. And I think that's what we learned, the biggest learning for me anyway, doing project-based learning in the late 90s and doing project-based learning now is understanding that it's gotta be tightly structured, but the, allow the, the organization of the learning to happen organically through where students have choice over pace, pace and best practice comes in, so. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right, so. Uh, Monica asked her a question. So next is Shannon on the list. All right. I have to pull mine up because I can't remember it. All right. My question is for my friend, Chrissy. Uh -huh. <laughs> and my husband helped me come up with this one. All right. So I'm shaking in my boots. Yeah. No, I thought about hunting. We could have done a, hun a hunting one. How much no. does it cost to fly to New Zealand? Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> all right accommodations what? free okay <laughs> oh, yeah you, me and my husband we're gonna show up one these days all right what is one thing that the new zealand educational system does that you think the washington educational system could benefit from Ooh, Ooh. Nice. Ooh. well done oh wow sorry <laughs> <laughs> what was that is someone getting that was censored the bell. right now? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, somebody oh, that was the bell. She's at school. Yeah, I said a bad word. <laughs> that was the bell. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, I, I, I think the most successful thing that the New Zealand curriculum has is that our whole country follows the same curriculum. So no matter where kids go, no matter what school they go to, no matter which place in the country, they have the same curriculum and there's nothing changes in that sense other than really great teaching or really poor teaching. But I didn't say that. <laughs> I don't, is that the same in Washington? Is that what happens? Like, or is it different from school district to school district? We have the common core state standards that we're supposed to kind of follow, but that's, you know, what you do within that, it varies from district to district. But high Gosh. schools have different offerings from district to district. So, I mean. So I guess then that would be the thing that I would say, we do really, really well. And nice. your state would benefit probably the kids would benefit from that I think teachers too like when you move from one school to another you're not having to learn an entirely different thing you you are trained in that curriculum and you know that curriculum well you're supposed to know that curriculum <laughs> you know that curriculum and and it doesn't matter which school you find yourself in so yeah I think that would be my answer for you nice job nice job my friend it's interesting because, you know, this as a country, we've gone back and forth on this idea of a national curriculum and then at a state level, who has control at a state level. And then from there, what is your control at a local level um, at the district? Um, so it's interesting that you say that because, I mean, I, I can see I can see both sides of it. Um, how And I think part of it also is, is 
inside New Zealand, do you have different states or province provinces? We have, we have provinces and they have their local councils that have their own bylaws. But generally speaking, we're, we're one country. We have one prime minister, one yeah. boss, so to speak. And um, I New think Island. that's one of our <laughs> three Three oh, islands. Sorry, Don't forget sorry. about Stuart. <laughs> I know Poor that. little Stuart out that. the window there. <laughs> I know that because Chrissy was a guest yesterday. Somebody wanted to know if yeah, pace was the same as well. So does everyone follow the same pacing guide? You need to be on this standard on this day? Uh, it's not as exact as that, but we have banded levels. So as you move through school, there is an expectation that you are within those bands and that's where the flexibility comes in that, you know, not everybody learns at the same pace. So there's room and flexibility for learning to still meet you where you're at, but continue to push you forward. Okay. One of the newer things in, in our curriculum now is this thing called local curriculum. So our curriculum, even though everyone has the same curriculum documents, there is flexibility within those learning objectives that make up the curriculum that allow us to infuse it with our own localness. Doesn't mean that we can go rogue and teach whatever we like to do with our, our locality, but it does mean that we can really focus on the things that matter to the communities among which we are teaching, which is yeah, the, very exciting. Mm -hmm. That's new. Mm. Interesting. That's cool. And how, what's your population of New Zealand? Five million. Five million. We just hit five million a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Is that like Seattle? <laughs> yeah. It's it's less it's less than our entire state. Yeah. And so oh, I wow. just Yeah. And so I'm thinking like and and this I mean, I think this is part of the larger conversation is if could we have a state curriculum and how much easier would that be to organize versus fifty different states who there is no and never has been in this country a federal oversight of education. States were created and one of the powers that every state was given was the right for education of that state. So that's how you end up with 50 different curriculums going 50 different directions that have 50 different standards that they get to choose. Um, and in, like I've talked about in a couple other talks, you know, there's economies of scale at play. Um, which is why you do at some point have to divide and conquer that. Now, does that mean that we shouldn't have national standards that everybody should be able to follow, which we tried. And then some States were, were decided to say like, ah, no, nah, not for us. <laughs> and is that okay? I don't know, but um, yeah. So I think that there, there's just, you know, I, at what level do you have to start splitting that off and what does that look mm -hmm. like? But, but you're right. I think there is something to be said, especially from a teacher standpoint, that if I can go into any district and I know exactly where I'm going to go, I know what the curriculum is. I know how that layout is. There just becomes a continuity for kids uh, and for teachers and for, you right. You just, you, you're, you're able to build that. So maybe even continuity of core four, 
Yeah, wouldn't that be great? Oh, hey. <laughs> I mean, we have Did to I agree say, on this... four apps. Like just that, that's wow. That's taken us three. That's taken us three months just to get <laughs> to get a. That might be nice within one building if we could. Yeah, let's just one. Let's start with one, one building. One, that's good. One, one, one family. family. One family. One family. One family. <laughs> I like that. That's awesome. Thank you. That's awesome, Jen. You're next up. I'm next. Yeah. Well. Guess whose lovely wife gave me your name? Ah. <laughs> ah. This'll be good. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I kind of pressure on this question. Yeah. <laughs> How do I ask There's no pressure. Yeah, whatever. Here we go. So we all know that we have lots of pivotal moments in our lives, right? Yeah. So when you began your career in education, your goal was to become a principal. Mm -hmm. So what was the pivotal moment or your epiphany that happened to make you change paths from classroom teacher who was headed to become a principal to being a consultant and part two, because <laughs> I had to go big or go home. And now as a consultant, what do you hope your lasting impact on education will be? Whoa. Jeez. Whoa. Whoa. I like part two. Part two is phenomenal. <laughs> You said we have 36 seconds to 36 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> And your okay. time starts now. Yeah. So the first part, the pivotal moment, is something that I still think about quite often because it was quite pivotal. Uh, I can I can almost tell you exactly where I was sitting in my computer lab uh, in between a class of kindergartners and a class of fifth graders. It was, uh, I'm going to say, uh, like May April, May 2006, at that point, I had started the thinking stick that September 2005. And that was my I started blogging. And there were very few educational blogs at the time blogging was still kind of a new thing. And I happened to be at the time, I think the only international educator that was blogging. And so I was kind of uh, the only voice coming from this place called Shanghai, China who was talking about education. And so because there were so few voices sharing their thoughts, that gave you a platform for your voice to be heard. And so very quickly, I was finding out that my voice was spreading farther than I even, I had no idea what I was doing. Just like every blogger, when you get started, you have no idea what you're doing. Um, I'm counting every single view, like five people watch, five people read a blog post and I'd like go wake my wife up and be like, you're not gonna believe this. Five people wrote, uh, read what I wrote. But what had happened was um, around February of 2000, uh, 2006, a assistant principal job came open at uh, Shanghai American School. And my goal in life from the time I was, I'm going to say 17, was my goal was to become an elementary principal before I was age 30. So I was 27 and I would have been able to become an assistant principal. And so my, I have my goals right in front of me. So I, I apply for this job. I'm one of the two finalists. And I sit down with still today, my good friend, Andy Torres, uh, who was the principal at the time. And he sat down with me and he said, look, he's like, it, there's two of us. We were both internal candidates. And he goes, you need to decide what is your path. He's like, you will make an incredible principal one day, I have no doubt about that. And if, if that's your path and that's what you want to do, I will support you in that. But I also know that you have this other path that is starting to be your passion. 
And you need to think long and hard around what is that? What is that? Where do you want to go? He goes, because here's what I don't want. I'm not going to hire you as my assistant principal only to have you quit a year from now to go be an IT director. <laughs> like you can't, I'm not going to do that. So that was a pivotal moment for me because I had to make a choice and basically give up a dream that I had been living and focused on for this thing that I didn't know. I had no idea what any of this, and this was just at this time to teach kindergarten and fifth grade technology. I mean, that's really what, what I was doing at the time. Um, and so that was a pivotal moment because I gave up on that dream to focus on what was the path for technology and, and technology moving forward. So that was a huge pivotal path. Path. I never became a principal. I let my administration certificate run out um, and never took that path. Uh, meanwhile, I dove into the educate the technology thing, and things happen. And next thing you know, you're writing for books, and you know one thing leads to another, and Twitter comes out. And you make everybody sign up for it at a conference, and you know <laughs> just things happen. Um, so that's that. As far as the second part of the question. I think the hardest thing to do as a consultant for every consultant is leaving the classroom. That is the hardest thing because at some point something has to give. At some point, of course, in a perfect world, I would still be teaching fourth grade and being a consultant. In a perfect world, absolutely. But it 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 does it, it can't work. You don't have enough time in the day. The schedules don't don't work out. At some point, you have to make a decision. Um, and so once you make that decision to become a full-time consultant, you start thinking, you have to also keep thinking on a scale that gives you even more power. So I am constantly, and anybody who's worked with me knows that I talk about this quite often, is that whenever, every time that I present, one of the things that still gives me butterflies is I start to count the number of teachers in front of me times how many kids they teach and how far is your influence. So as a classroom teacher, I got to influence, I mean, my largest class size, I think, was 36 at one point. So I got to influence 36 lives. Every time that you're in front of a group, you get to influence however many teachers times 25 kids or 30 kids. So in the work that we're doing here, and I think you've all heard me say this a number of times, like, we've got almost 3,500 teachers times, you know, how many kids? Like, we're impacting the lives of 100 and 120,000 kids easy across the state. And to me, that is what drives me forward is thinking about the lives that you can impact with just one teacher. And it's not about any of the big stuff. It's not about any of this, but hearing teachers reflect, hearing teachers come back and tell a success story of, oh my gosh, I tried this and it worked for that kid. Oh, I have one kid show up to an office hour and I got to connect with that kid. That's the reason why you do the work. The reason why you do the work doesn't change. The scale of which you can impact changes. And that, I think, what uh, I think that what excite me more than anything. Nicely done. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. Good question. Good question. Good question. Yeah, that was a great question. Yeah. Push me. That was good. Uh, Bob, you're next up. Bob, who's your question for? Hey, my question is for Tyler. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Tyler. My good friend, just so you know, it, my computer <laughs> crashed. So I'm here on my phone for the first time. New learning for me. Tyler, you've been assigned a class of high school seniors for their final four weeks of school. And you can teach them anything around one topic. But 
they can't choose, you have to, what would that topic be? In oh, <laughs> Oof. um, is it clarifying question content or skill or does it matter? Doesn't matter. It's based on what you value and believe about the work. You know, wow. I'm wow, Bob, I'm, you're supposed to go with us like a softball question. You didn't do that. <laughs> I think he asked the right person. I'm just saying, know, I'm sitting here going, I'm thank God I didn't get Bob. <laughs> I think it's going to come down to being being critical about the sources they're using to teach themselves. Because I think part of that is you're teaching them, you can teach yourself, which when I think about the seniors that are going to spend four weeks with me and then walk out into the real world, I want them walking out knowing no matter what I encounter, I have the skills to be able to find what I need to teach myself. Because I think about everything I've done as an adult, I didn't have a teacher. I had to figure it out. I had to find, I had to learn how to break down those resources to keep that learning going. But I also think part of it too, we talk, I mean, there is so much power in the internet, but there's also a lot of power in being someone who understands how to be critical about the way that we're approaching the internet. Because I think it's really easy to Google the answer and just go with whatever's on top. But I think learning to be that person that is willing to Google the answer and Google the answer and Google the answer and take the time and, and understand the value in taking that time to develop a broad understanding of a topic. I think that's something that sadly a lot of times seems to be missing these days where we've, we've taught students maybe that first step of, hey, look, you can go to the internet and learn anything. You can go to the internet and find what, whatever you want to find is the reality of it. But teaching them that you're not going the internet to the internet to find what you want to find, you should be going to the internet to find what's true and what's reliable and what's valid and what's worthwhile. And so I think that idea of teaching students how to be critical evaluators of information online isn't just about here's what you need to stay away from, but like, what are you running towards, right? Like mm. what, is, what is the stuff that you're using to truly teach yourself? And so I think part of it is I want kids to be, know that I can teach myself, kind of going back to what Shannon said about being confident. Right? I want them to know that I might not know it and that's okay, but I know how to get it. But also being confident online of, I know that what I'm looking at is something that's worth looking at. I know that I've, I've done the work, I've dug in and I can really prove to myself that this is true. So I think that idea of if they can leave my classroom as a critical evaluator of information, I will feel confident that they'll be successful in, I, in life no matter what they run into. So I guess that's my answer, critical evaluation. I love that. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So true. Good got the title of the course as well. Critical evaluation. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's it's, basically English class. If we're doing it right, that's the title of English yeah. class. Critical evaluation. Yeah. That's really Shouldn't what it be, is. It? And why isn't it? Can somebody answer me that? ELA teachers, why isn't that like the core... Because the, standard, good, good talk. the sta <laughs> standard says English 9 and 10. That's probably why it's not critical evaluation 9 and 10. Because yeah, yeah. Yeah. there's like one standard out of 300, right? That, that because we saved. have 30 copies of a book, and we have to do that book every year because we have 30 yeah. copies of it. Yeah, and I grew up <laughs> learning how to write essays, so my kids also need to learn how to write. I still have yet to find the answer to 
but what happens when my kids have to go write essays in college? And I'm like, I, you know, like change that too, man. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I even got to the point in my classroom. I don't say reading and writing and it takes way longer to say it, but now I say critical consumption and powerful communication. Because when we say reading and writing, it's like, this is what we're locked Ooh. into. But I think it's important for them to understand the majority of the texts they need to interpret are not going to be printed anymore. And so, so if we're just saying reading, yeah. we're like, hey, these are the skills that are going to apply to the things you're not doing all the time versus <laughs> these are the skills that apply to what you're doing all the time. And please continue to use them in your mm-hmm. real life, not just in English class. We, we need that again, yeah. Tyler. Critical uh, consumption. Critical consumption. And powerful communication. I swear the word. Chris, he said productive presentation, productive something. I I swear the first time he said it, the word zucchini was in there somewhere. I don't know. Hey, I I still don't think I got it right. Tyler is my Jewish teacher. (laughs) Fantastic. All right. Uh, Chris, you're up next with your question. Awesome. Patrick. Yay. Yeah. Okay, Patrick, I'm going to throw you in the Wayback Machine. You ready? Okay. What was a time that sticks out in your memory about that you had a breakthrough connection or a special connection with a student or a group of students? No names. Could be in the class. I know you coached a lot. Could be as a coach-athlete connection. Describe the moment you knew you'd reached them and how you made that connection. Nice. Ooh, wow. You know, it's a good question when everybody goes, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Golly. Um, sheesh. That is the Wayback Machine. I, it, I mean, this one's hard because right now, um, my brain is flipping through a number of yeah. humans. Yeah. right like people i care about that at the time were kids um and i'm yeah i like i've got lots of stories yeah. going through my head and i guess the point that i'd first want to say is i mean it's about relationships and if you got into teaching likely it wasn't because you were really interested in history and specifically the bay of pigs invasion and like you got in because you wanted to see people grow and you wanted to work with folks as they improved and you and you got to help them through that struggle and so yeah i'm like what and i just had a bunch of kids run through my head that are no longer kids um gosh you know the the one and and telling a story without using names so so i'm 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 jumping to, and I, I wished I could do this over again, right? Because I don't know if I'm going to tell sure. the story that I want to tell. But um, I'm going to say uh, this one kid who I I feel like actually, and it, and it was in a coaching experience, um, and in the end, um, I made a decision that because it was a team thing, right? So we're, we're playing sports and we're doing the team thing and a decision that actually impacted them individually in a way that didn't allow them to shine as much as maybe they or their parents would have wanted. Um, and I, I guess I would say the, the thing that where I know I was connecting with them is that 
I, I never, I never stopped being direct. I, we had a, we had this conversation once about like, well, I could, I could stop coaching you. I could stop saying you're doing this well, and here's what you could do to improve. Right. I could just keep going. Yeah, you're doing well. You're doing well on this one thing, but not bring up that other thing and not give that extra step. If I start doing that, where I'm just praising you, you, you could know that I'm giving up. And we went through a, a tough time where the parents were actually quite irritated with me and um, whatever. And uh, I think probably two days in a row, I actually kind of didn't do the, um, the second piece of, of my feedback, which is keep doing this next time, try this. And when I, when I didn't for like two days in a row, do the next time, try this, she came up and said, Hey, I know that things are hard right now with my parents and blah, blah, blah. Um, please keep telling me what I need to try next. Don't give up. on mm. And um, yeah, I mean, it's like, it, and in a coaching context, it's the same as in, in the classroom, right? Like that's my feedback cycle is you're doing this well, next time try this. Cause you're always trying to get that extra piece of growth. And um, I would say to this day, what's cool is this, this student um, is now an adult and they're now a teacher. And um, I didn't know it at the time, how impactful maybe that scenario was, but um, you know, we've had conversations about that now. And so how did I know? Well, I know now because that kid wants to maintain those connections with me, which is a, an honor, right? Like I'm, I'm cause I, I screwed up a million times in this relationship, right? I, I'm not, I by no means was perfect in that, but um, she taught me the lesson of don't give up on people. Keep telling them, keep doing this and next time try this. And cause we don't know how high those kids can fly. What I love about that story is it, it reminds <clears throat> me of if I think of the best coaches and the best teachers I had, they weren't the easy coaches and easy teachers. You know, isn't that funny? Oh, like, as you're telling that story, yeah. I'm thinking like, man, the teacher that I love slash was frustrated with the most is the teacher I still have a relationship with today. Mrs. Hoppe, my fourth grade teacher, yeah. right? Um, yeah. 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 I'm going to say that that question should be one that when we finally are able to get together that we all should have to answer. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, that's a great yeah. question. Yeah, I'm like, we don't, <laughs> we don't this is my... Time. We don't have time right now, but well, we all have to answer. But I, Patrick, you did a great you did a great job of yeah. explaining because I talk to my yeah. kids about it all the time yeah. about being teachable and being coachable. That's the terminology that I use, right? Because teachers are coaches, coaches are teachers. That's that's what we are, right? Mm -hmm. But being teachable, being coachable. The idea that I'm not going to just tell you you're doing a great job if you're not, and you shouldn't want that. You should want me to be able to say, as your teacher or as your coach, this is how you could potentially get a little bit better, right? Because we don't know everything. And so, but you're right. There's tons of growing pains that come with that until they kind of realize it, that we've experienced on the coach or on the player side or on the student side that we now are experiencing on the coach side or on the teacher mm. side, but yeah. it's so worth it. It's so worth it. Absolutely. And what I, what I love Patrick, when I crafted that question, I almost hesitated to ask, to come up with that question because I knew knowing you and knowing this, having worked with this group enough that you've had an impact on a ton of kids and they've had an impact on you in return. So for you to choose one would be quite difficult. Mm. And I love the fact that you just brought it back. It's all about relationships. It's all mm. about not only the, the relationship to the student, but from the student to you. And that that's so powerful. It was really cool. Thanks, Patrick.
Thank you. Great question. That's good. Round of applause. Tyler, you're next. All right. Well, I feel like I need to build suspense with who it's for. Uh, <laughs> Not my <anymore>. question. <laughs> yeah, I know at this point there's like four. Yeah. Uh, my question is for Jen. Oh. So <laughs> I feel like all the time we hear teachers say my kids can't use technology if they're like in first grade or in second grade or kinders. So my question is, what are some of the most powerful ways that we could use technology with our younger students? Good question. Oh, nice. Hey, nice this, question. <laughs> this hits at my passion of what I've been working and doing for the last, I don't know, well, officially two years, but before that, it's like, okay, our littlest ones are so stinking capable of doing so much. And we forget how capable they really are in that you take them through, of course you have to teach them. So it's not like when you bring out a piece of technology with an older student and they already know how to use some of the stuff and they, they're more self-sufficient and they can just kind of roll with it. We know with our younger kids, we have to explicitly teach them some of the pieces. But once you teach them some of the basics, the ability for them to share their thinking with you in a format that's not just writing. You know, we often say, oh, write down your thoughts. Well, our littlest ones can't necessarily write down their thoughts, but boy, you put them in front of Flipgrid or you put them on Seesaw and you have them tell you what their thinking is, you will be amazed. You will be amazed at those little first graders who can navigate through several menus in Seesaw to read something, practice something, and then tell you what their learning is. And they don't even think twice about it. And, and teachers come back to me and say, well, my kids can't do that. Yes, they can. Does it take longer in a kindergarten, first grade, second grade classroom? Of course it does. We, we've got all of that background stuff. They didn't learn to read overnight either. So I think that when we make excuses for our kids that they can't do it, it's really us that doesn't want to put in the time to help them learn how to do it because they are capable. And is it chaotic and is it messy? Oh, yes, it is so chaotic and messy to walk into a kindergarten classroom and teach them how to use Google Slides. And I teach the same lesson, whether it is kindergarten or whether it's high school, you're gonna to learn to put in a background, you're gonna to learn to put in a text box and you're gonna put in an wow. image, those three things. <laughs> and kindergartners can do it. Yes, they can. So. I think that we we lose the ability for our littlest ones to really share their thinking and especially in a distance learning situation where we can't be with them to the most powerful thing we can do is actually hear what they're thinking and how they're mm. processing and if we're not using technology to help us with that we, we are really really missing out on tapping into those little ones. I love that. Can we ask, ask questions? That was, that was yes. awesome, by the way. Beautiful. Can we ask follow-up questions? Or since I'm done, nobody can ask, ask me a follow-up <laughs> Jen, Jen what, what about a parent or a teacher that says, I'm concerned with screen time for my Yeah, and I get it. Of course, we're concerned with screen time. But screen time is when you're sitting and you're maybe playing your video games after school or you're sitting and, and binge watching a TV show. In my mind, that's screen time. But when you are using the screen to learn and to communicate and 
our five-year-olds can collaborate. It just looks different than our older kids. Bye, Tyler. Bye, Tyler. <laughs> we, you know, we, we miss on that opportunity to really tap into them. And I just lost my train of thought. Did you see it? I waved goodbye. To <laughs> yes, yeah. It's gone. So, but I think screen time looks different. It does. And when you're using it to learn, I think that's another thing we have to train our parents to understand that there is different levels of screen time. Mm -hmm. I love lump it all. Yeah, we can't lump it all into one thing. Yeah, Yeah. it's not one thing. It's talking to grandma. It's collaborating with a partner. It's learning to read. It's whatever it is. It's learning to play the ukulele. It's researching NASA's launch today because it's a current event. It's a million different things. It is not one thing called screen time. Mm. I love that. I was just thinking as you were talking too, I just Googled because I can't remember exactly what the number is, but research has found that the average seven-year-old asks 300 questions a day. And I'm just thinking there's no way a seven-year-old can write down 300 questions away, but is there a way that technology could capture some of that? Like, how could you even as a teacher leverage technology to capture? And that if anybody wants to know how hard it is to be a kindergarten or first grade teacher, 300 times 20, right? Like, let's just do the math. How many questions are coming at you in a day? As, as and a, a lot teacher. of them involve, but why? But why? But why? <laughs> <laughs> That's at least half of the 300 is just, but why? Yeah. Um, but I think there's so many ways. You're so right. You know, there's so many ways to, to use technology to capture all sorts of learning. You know, the inquisical side as as well as the learning side. So good. So good. All right. Uh, Let's see. Who asked that one? Tyler asked that one. Patrick, your turn. Great. My question is for Monica. Monica, aren't you relieved it's not Stefan asking you a question? (laughs) I think think that was on purpose. (laughs) All right, Monica. How many YouTube subscribers? No. <laughs> I can answer that. I can answer that real quick. Monica, don't worry. Not, I've got this no, and I'll carry no, this one for you. No. Okay. Monica, no, seriously. So there are a bunch of teachers at year zero. Okay. And they're about to go out into their first classroom. They are going to start their teaching career this coming fall. And they are going to go out into one of 253 different permutations of (laughs) online learning, virtual learning, face-to-face learning, blended learning. Who knows what it's going to look like? Run, run, run. (laughs) (laughs) So since we've all been just figuring out this emergency distance learning thing anyway, and we don't know exactly what's coming, um, what advice would you give them? these new teachers? <laughs> Good question. And I'm assuming we're K-12 teachers, doesn't matter what age, what age level, any of it. First year teachers out of the bat have no idea. I guess, I mean, it's collaborate with your colleagues. You have experts mm. in your building and don't be afraid to ask. As an instructional coach, uh, there are people out there that are just begging to give you the support that you you need, and it's not a sign of weakness to ask for help. Uh, one of my very, very first years as a tech coach, I had the best teacher ever was my best friend, and she had me in her classroom all day, every day, because she always wanted to get better, and I think people think coaches are just for those teachers that are struggling. That's not true. I had the world's best teacher who wanted to get better. So 
that seems like a pretty simple answer, but just asking for help and know that you don't have to do everything. Pick one thing and do that one thing well. I mean, we talk about a core four, maybe you just wanna pick one and keep it simple. Pick one thing that you're gonna be really, really good at and just start there. You've gotta give yourself grace and forgiveness and know that it will get better and the kids will survive. When I asked Steve the question of think back to your first year teaching, I, I, I feel so bad for those kids who were in my class because I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, right. But I think there there is a few things that I, I did and I did well. And I definitely ask those around me for help and support. Mm. Awesome. Yeah, great advice. I think the other thing, and I don't know if this is for anybody else in this group, it's a great question. And as, as you were talking, Monica, I just was like, what's one thing that I think I remember and still to this day, because I think it's a lifelong learning skill is find your mentor. And it's not, and that's not the assigned mentor. Like it could be, it could be the assigned mentor you get, but many times I find that's not who ends up being your mentor. You know, find that person that you can go to that person you can bounce ideas off of. Um, and even every time I change schools, I somehow and I don't even know, I wish you could write a book on like, how do you find the perfect mentor? And I don't know if there's a, a perfect recipe, but I think you find people that push you, that are there for you, that understand you, that can um, support you when you need support, but also just there to listen. Um, I just think about like the mentors throughout my life, you know, who I always somehow stumbled upon a, a mentor that that supported me in my in my work. I don't know if that's for anybody else too, but you just kind of find them. I don't know if there's a secret sauce. And I think and the secret I, sauce, the secret sauce is being open to it, yeah, you know, maybe. right there, like looking for a mentor. And, and, and that was Monica's answer, essentially, right? Like, yeah. don't yeah, be afraid I mean, to we're ask. so lucky in our district. We have Anna Griffith, who is our best uh, supporter, beginning educator support team. Yep. And it is her passion. And she is so amazing at what she does and we share office space and she comes back with these stories of these first year teachers and she does have the graph uh, Jen you shared the stages of grief with COVID but she has the stages of the first year teaching yes. and there's definitely some highs and lows along the way mm. and she does a phenomenal job with those first year teachers it is tough well, yeah. And I think it's significantly important to find a mentor that has similar values. Like you could find yes. a mentor that sends you in a wrong direction, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Like, like, like if you're, if like, so you have to have an idea, or I would say to first year teachers, have an idea of what you want and don't give up on that particular belief because you could find a mentor that's going to send you down a negative path or down a wrong way. We always talk about leaders. Leaders can be positive. Leaders can be negative. And so when you find that that person that has that similar value set that you have to latch onto it and not to get sentimental, but one of my mentors is in this room or in this zoom meeting right now. Right, Bob. So that, the idea, <laughs> of, you know, not just a, a close, close friend, but somebody who was one from the time I first talked with him on the phone when I was coming out to Enumclaw that I knew was going to be somebody that was going to change my career. So it, it's significant to have that person in your life that allows you to grow and allows you to be able to do that. But I think being open to that, is significant as well, like Patrick said. And again, your mentor is not Bob. always going to maybe tell you what you want to hear. Hey, Steve. Honest with you and push you, and if that's what Bob did for you, and that's what a good mentor can do for a good first year teacher. Yeah, for sure. 
All right, we've got two of us left. That's between uh, myself and Steve still haven't asked our questions. And according to my list, I'm supposed to ask my question next. So my question is for Bob. Are you yeah. ready, Bob? <laughs> yes. Stefan, it's right. coming up. You have Stefan for last. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. Pressure. All right. So here you go, Bob. Here's your question. Okay. Uh, Explain why you say and believe every kid is a career kid and how does that translate to elementary age students? Love it. Yeah. Love it. Uh, Here's what I would say is part of what we do as educators is all the time we talk to kids about what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? Um, In other words, we know that every kid is part of the purpose of schooling is to help them grow as people, to become better people. And um, but it's also uh, to make a contribution to our society. And so part of that involves the world of work. It involves a career of some type. And so when we say that uh, every student is a career student, that means that, you know, potentially every student is going to contribute to our society somehow. And so I think it's important to talk to kids about what they want to be, but also it's, it's, it's important to talk to kids about who they want to be. And so when I say every student is a career student, um, I, I mean that I want them to contribute to society in a way that's meaningful, uh, that, that helps our society continue to grow as a, as, as a world, as a community, as a, and so um, I don't mean that every, and, and you shouldn't stop learning. Here's the old guy that's, uh, you should be um, a career student. Some people look like that, say, think that you should be in school your entire life. I think every day is an education if we look for those opportunities around us. And so every student is a career student, period. Um, and had, sometimes it has something to do with a particular job, but it also has something to do with who we are as a, as a human race, really. So, mm. so good. Bob, I love that because my 23-year-old nephew was giving my 17-year-old son advice and talking about college and where, do my, where am I going to go and what am I going to do? And my 23-year-old nephew... His comment was, and I wrote it in the chat, don't worry about what you're going to be, worry about who you're going to be. And then he also said, don't worry about what you're going to do, worry about how you're going to do it. And I was just like, what? For for my nephew to say that, I'm like, I'm going to get that tattooed on my arm. I I mean, right now he's a waiter. And he said, mm-hmm. I know I'm not going to be a waiter forever, but I'm a really good waiter. I know that I'm doing a good job and I'm proud of the work I'm doing. So these kids are smart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the, you know, and that's part of our job as educators. What knowledge, what skills, what experiences do we create in our classrooms to help those, our kids grow as people and find their passions and their interests and all the things we've been talking about and reimagine it. 
And it's okay oh. if you don't know it by age 18, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Shocker. Absolutely. If only I knew everything that I knew, right? Jeez, it's just the way it goes. All right, Steve, you're last up. You and Stefan. How do you know it's Stefan? Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, where's the suspense? Yeah, where's the suspense? <laughs> Stefan gets no suspense, although he's had to wait the whole time. Why, That's why enough suspense I for Stefan. Why do I feel the need, though, that I should tell Monica to mute her microphone while I ask this question? <laughs> I don't know. I just... <laughs> so, Stefan. No, not no, you can't. I checked. I'm sitting here scrolling over the pictures. At least I don't have the ability to mute other people. You've tried. You've already last tried. Time. All right, here we go. Here we go. Because tomorrow is Thursdays with Stefan for us, mm. right? So we get it yes, tomorrow. Sir. We're rocking that. So we're ready to go. But a lot of you out there in YouTube land don't necessarily know that a lot of us haven't met in person yet. So Stefan and I, our relationship is like this, right? It's, it's on Zoom. <laughs> But it's been awesome because you have such energy and passion okay, for what you believe in. And it's, it's inspiring it to, to be a part of. So I, I appreciate that. It's inspiring. It's admirable. But however, we got a lot of our professionals across Washington State that are overwhelmed with how to, pro how to approach this new reality, right, of distance learning and what's going on. So as an instructional coach or as a colleague, because this has come up in some cohorts, what would your approach be to support and encourage a colleague that's struggling to buy into this blended learning model? Not just because it's necessary, but truly because it's the best learning for student agency in 2020. So how would you help them if they're struggling with why to buy into moving forward in this different direction of, of producing educational and learning opportunities? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so, I'm not a great coach. <laughs> we'll start off by saying that because like I How can I mute him if he says that? <laughs> I'm a, I'm a I'm a bull in the china shop, dude, which works really well in in a middle school classroom, right? And I told Monica when I came to this job, I am going to build relationships by just being a workhorse because that's what I know. And I am gonna build those relationships that way. And I know that all that all of that you know, it was built off a relationship, but that doesn't always work for everybody's, for everybody's learning style. And so if I am, and this is not a foreign concept. So if I'm working with a teacher who's struggling to buy in my, uh, and this is going to be so underwhelming. My approach is to listen. Mm. Like I, for once in my life, shut my mouth <laughs> and I, I, I listen and I'm not, I'm not good at that because you're right. I do get so excited and I would always joke with my colleagues that I'm an overpaid clown in the classroom and I'm here, I put on this animated version of myself and I crank it up to 11 and we party. And that, that is authentic. I believe it. I love it. Uh, it like I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking back to Chris's question about Patrick. Like I, I miss the kids, but I love good teaching. I love, love good mm -hmm. teaching. Right. And that's what my job is, is talking about good teaching. And so sometimes I just have to get out of my own freaking way and stop talking, you know? And what I have found is that without exception, Teachers want to do what's best for kids. They do. They care about, you don't get into teaching for the money or the fame. You get into it because you want to make connections with kids and you want to do what's best for kids. And this goes back to what Chris said is when he was talking about finding the sweet spot, you don't throw out good teaching because everything we're talking about 
is good teaching. It just looks different. And I'm going to blatantly plagiarize from Jeff, but something he tells people in Moses Lake is that we can't teach the kids today like we learned because our world is radically different. And things have changed so fast that it takes time to grapple with that. So at the risk of sounding like a broken record, there's nothing that I can do in a moment to move you from resistance to acceptance, because that's something you have to accept that you have to go through that journey yourself. And the only way to do that is to listen and let people know that you're there to serve and to support. That's been my mantra through all of this with teachers is I am only here to serve and support. And sometimes that, that just looks like, tell me what you want for kids and how I can help with that. And the frustrating part about that is it's not always immediately effective, you know, and, and as teachers, we should, we should be, we should be okay with that, obviously, but you don't know the kinds of lasting impacts that you make. And uh, sometimes you just have to be patient and know that you're not always the right person to give the right answer. So the best thing you can do is just to sit and listen. Teaching is a delayed gratification profession. Right, you don't see it right in the moment. And by the way, just like Monica posted, because I've watched Stefan in the many different Thursdays with Stefan's we've had. Don't let him spool you. He's an amazing coach. He's an amazing. Yeah, and that's one of my favorite stories as Stefan. And when Stefan became a coach, someone else applied for the position that was at the high school. Stefan wasn't at the high school, and Stefan got the job. And a couple months into it, that teacher emailed Stefan and said. I applied for the job too, and I didn't want to like you. <laughs> but you <laughs> have done a phenomenal job, and I'm so impressed. I see why you got the job. You're making a difference in our building. You are the best person for this job. And for that teacher to reach out and tell Stefan that was a real vulnerable thing for her to do and something that uh, he deserved to hear. Thanks. This is very just, uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I, will, I love the message too, because I think, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I think too often, especially as people in leadership positions or coaches who are supposed to be there to support, we can over talk. It's way too easy because people come to us and our original mindset is to go into solution mode without really taking the time to, sometimes people come to you because they just need to tell you something without you fixing the problem. And, and being able to be open to listening, which is why this amazing counselor I know, who I happen to also be married to, um, every single day before I go to work, the last thing she says to me before I leave is don't forget to listen. It's the la every single day since I, for now, as long as I can remember, she always reminds me like, don't forget to listen, like listen first before you try to solve problems. And I've even told you that when you've been on your way out to dinner with me. <laughs> Probably. Like, and, no, but it's a great message, right? Like in all, it, it's it's so don't good. forget to listen. I yeah. love it, Jeff. Yeah, it's such a good, it's such a good message, you know. And I think you're right, right. You're spot on. Like when you were struggling against somebody else that you're trying to to convince their mindset, asking that simple question. And I remember what you said. What do you want that's best for your kids? And then just allow space, because. Teachers will talk themselves into what is best for kids. And then you're there to support that because this is what's best for kids, you know, and, and, but sometimes we need to be reminded that that's where we start from. Um, so I love that. I think it's such great advice. 
All right. Well, that's our hour. Um, I don't see any questions in the chat. I was seeing if anything came up from the, I don't see anything coming up from there. Any final thoughts from the crew here? How was your first AMA? Survive. It's awesome. Over. 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 I survived. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. (laughs) Patrick's like, no way. Awesome. Well, thank you, everyone. I totally appreciate you giving up an hour of your day uh, to make this video and to be there for uh, people, whoever happens to see this in the future. Uh, Like you said, the teaching business is a, uh, what did you say? Extended gratification business, or what did you say? Delayed gratification. Delayed gratification. I got another quote. You got your quote me again. (laughs) I I messed it up just like you mess up mine all the time. So it's perfect. (laughs) Delayed gratification business, right? Like we're making this video and you don't know who's going to watch it. There you Um, go. I want you to get it right next time we have a cohort together. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's good. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Really appreciate hanging out with us tonight or whenever you happen to be watching this video. And uh, remember to listen and do what's best for kids. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit sospodcast.org, facebook.com slash Jeff Udick, and on Twitter at judick. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on Shifting Our Schools.